0: The Lord had already said they were not to be attacked. But nonetheless, Balak thought so. And instead of seeking the Lord for mercy, he sought to coerce the Lord to curse Israel. This is a very um, dangerous thing moment in the in the life of the israelites they 're gaining momentum toward the promised land. This is the end of their sentence of forty years in the wilderness and they 're beginning to take the the promised land the, Can- the land of canaan and uh, there 's a threat that perhaps the Lord would sentence them again for their fall, but we see a Christ-like man comes to the rescue. And the message this morning is dealing with zealous, being zealous and jealous for the Lord. And you'll see there's a man in this passage that, that the Lord uses to save the day. Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed, down their, and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, a false god of the Moabites. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, the leaders of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye everyone his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. If you notice, Moses uh, doesn't carry out what God said in verse 4. He, as it were, lightens the sentence. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body, her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 24,000. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned away my wrath from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made an atonement for the children of Israel, Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. May the Lord bless this very sober passage to our hearts today. It's interesting how the Bible will often Ju- juxtaposition a light, a light incident with a dark incident. For instance, we know from earlier the Decalogue when God came down in glory and, and spoke the Ten Commandments, it was a great moment in the, in the life of the Israelites. But then, while Moses is up in the mount, the golden calf incident. So you have light and darkness. Remember, the the victory at Jericho was followed by the debacle at Ai because of Achan. The birth of Jesus, you remember, was followed by the massacre of the infants in and around Bethlehem. Palm Sunday was followed by Good Friday. A few days before Jesus was Said well, a few days before they cried out, "Crucify him!" They were saying, "Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord." In the New Testament, you have the revival at Pentecost, followed by the Ananias and Sapphira story, where they're struck down because of their lies. We just read about the Lord cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. That was followed, or that was preceded by the wedding at Cana. Beautiful wedding, delight. And then Jesus walks into the temple and it's they're playing bingo, our our way of saying it today. He walks into a temple and it's a marketplace instead of a worship place. Instead of people having quiet and reverence and joy, there's all kinds of coins being exchanged, and they're hearing all kinds of animals. Sheep baaing and, and oxen lowing and birds cooing. That's what they're hearing in the temple. And sometimes in churches today, that's what people, what people will find. They're finding the world in the church when the church uh, should be separated unto the Lord. And so we find that the glorious prophecies of the Lord in chapters 22 through 24 that were forced out of the mouth of a false false prophet are followed by this very dark black drop, if you will. These are some of the statements of Balaam. The shout of a king is among us. Remember last week, a star will come out of Jacob and the scepter shall rise from Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? And he even spoke about Israel and he said that the people shall not be reckoned among the nations. In other words, he's saying the people of Israel will be special to the Lord, a special people. Wonderful statements. He could not coerce the Lord to curse. So it seems, look at the end of chapter 24, it says, Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place and Balak also went his way. So it seems like the false prophet and the king of Moab leave with their tails between their legs. They've been defeated. Balaam doesn't get his money and Balak is afraid now of Israel defeating the Moabites. But then you read, you don't begin chapter 25 with, and Israel abode and worshiped and rejoiced and continued their momentum to the promised land. You see, the devil's trying to stop their momentum, just like he wants to stop our momentum for the Lord. And Israel abode, and it says, the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They were committing fornication. With the women of Moab, and they were calling the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods, just like it happened at the at the at the foot of Sinai, the golden calf calf incident, and their idolatry. You see here that what's happened? I thought Balaam was unsuccessful. Well, you read in the New Testament that Balaam is the one that had this idea. I can't get God to curse them. But if I lead them into sin, God will have to chasten them. You read Revelation 2, it says that Balaam taught Balak, Balak how he could lead Israel into sin. We'll tempt them with our girls and we'll lead them into idolatry. And that will provoke the Lord. They'll provoke the Lord, both both uh, of the of the of the Decalogue, both sides of the Decalogue. They'll commit idolatry, and God said, Thou shalt not make into thee any graven images to bow down and worship. Thou shalt not have any other gods. And thou shalt not commit adultery, this sin against the, the commandment against immorality. And this is exactly what the Lord, what the devil wants the church to be like. It, it, The devil wants the people of God to be immoral and to not be devoted solely to the Lord, to have idols. And, you know, we might say, well, we don't don't worship Baal. We don't worship Moloch. We don't worship all these gods that we read about. We don't worship Allah and Buddha. But there are more idols than religious idols, so to speak. Money can be an idol. Work can be an idol. Lust can be an idol. Food can be an idol. Sleep can be an idol. There's all kinds of things that halt our progress, that weaken our constitution for the Lord, that grieve the Holy Spirit. And notice it says the people began. It's it's Balaam that said, the people shall not be reckoned among the nations. So it's almost like Balaam used a prophecy to think, wait a minute, one of my prophecies was Israel is a special people. They're separated from the nations. Ah, I got an idea. I'll let them mingle among the nations. If they can mingle among the nations and become like the other nations, they're going to provoke their God. The Lord told his people, don't mingle among the heathen. Love them and interact with them, but be a witness unto them. Don't adopt their ways. We, we, we memorized the verses in, in Leviticus recently. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein I deliver you, don't do. After the doings of the land of Canaan, wherein I bring you, don't do. Be holy unto me. And when the church becomes like the world, we begin to provoke the Lord. The church is to be unlike the world, the lust of the, flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of light. And so it says here that they began to be immoral and they also committed idolatry. They were seduced by Balak and the women of Moab and they were, were led into idolatry. They began to worship Baal, Peor, who was, and there's an association there, Baal was a god of fertility. You see how the immorality and the god of fertility goes together. Prostitution at, at religious sites was regular and it still isn't today in religions of the world. You see, their momentum began to be interrupted and in jeopardy of total reversal They were in jeopardy. We read here that 24,000 people died. I think it's because they didn't carry out the command at first to deal with the leaders who didn't prevent this from happening in the tribes. They were responsible as the women were were tempting and, and the men were accommodating and the leaders were not saying, Stop that. You can't do that. And so it wasn't Moses, it was the Lord that said, I want you to hang up the leaders' heads to be an example. Look, if there's there's a prevention here to put the fear of God in people. And Moses didn't do it. He said to the judges, I want you to deal with those that actually committed the crimes. And what we don't see is God began to plague until Phinehas came we might conclude that God would not have plagued 24,000 if Moses had carried out, it would have been a few that would have died instead of 24,000. But since he dragged his feet, God began to plague the camp. And Phineas, they could see this. The people were weeping at the door of the tabernacle and everybody was frozen. What do we do? There's sin in the camp and we can't handle it. It's overwhelming us. And that's the picture here, that one man steps up and says, we can't let this happen. Our progress is halted. We have provoked the Lord. And it's easy to say, well, this was a vigilante that took a spear and thrust these two individuals through. That, But that's what they said about Jesus when he took the the... the the uh, cord, the the uh, the whip in the temple. They said he was crazy. You read Psalm sixty nine, and they said the zeal of my, thy house has consumed me, and he's persecuted for his zeal. Remember when the Pharisees said, "How dare you do this in the temple?" And Jesus said, "My father's house can, should not be turned into a merchandise, a place of merchandise." They thought he was. A vigilante. As if he was taking things into his own hands. But see, Phineas steps forward and what he does isn't a vigilante. God doesn't say, vengeance is mine. You've taken vengeance on your own. No, this man stepped up for the Lord and, as it were, rebuked Moses for not doing anything. And the question is, will anybody do anything to stop the worldliness in the church? Yes, obviously, this is not saying we should take spears and whips. But is there anybody that has a zeal for the Lord that will step up and say, let's stop being worldly. Let's stop uh, blending in with the world. We need to be holy. They need to see Christ in us. Phineas appears. He's the grandson of the late Aaron. So here's a young man that rises to the occasion. An old man didn't. I'm not going to diss Moses. You know, Moses was a man of God. He was close to the Lord, but here he's frozen. It's like, what do we do? But Phineas steps up, a young man. And so the theme for the chapter is It could have been momentum is interrupted, zeal has abated, the zeal for sin has taken over, the Baal worship has taken over the worship of God. But it's the zeal of the Lord that wins the day. It's God's grace. And you apply this to the church today, there are a lot of churches that have divided and split because of worldliness and are no longer serving the Lord. Many ministers have fallen to immorality and greed. Thousands over the years. Thousands. Believers have fallen by the thousands. What is our heart like as we close this year and begin a new year? Do we have a zeal for the Lord? We sing Psalm number 685 that says, Revive us, Lord. Is zeal abating while harvest fields are vast and white, revive us, Lord. The world is waiting. Equip thy church to spread thy light. The church is in jeopardy of being cold. Jesus warned us. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. And the, and the word lo- iniquity is Lawlessness. Because lawlessness abounds in the world, it affects the church, he said. The love of the many. Interesting, the word many has an article before it. And what it means is the majority. That's the scary part. The majority in the church will become cold at heart because we say, what's the use? We we see the world. I mean, everything's out of the closet now. Everything seems to be out of the closet." There's a guy that spoke to the Springville school system, a Sodomite, that said, I came out of the closet. And I felt like saying, if I'm a liar, I came out of the closet, I'm, I'm I'm a liar, or I'm a murderer. That's what it's saying. I came out of the closet, that I'm a, I break God's commandment. But that's not how the world sees it. But we see this happening, and it, Dulls us. It dulls our conviction. It dulls our concern for their souls. Instead of being burdened for their souls, we're sympathizing them because they, that we sympathize with them because we feel they're persecuted. We need to be zealous and jealous for the Lord. Interesting, it's the same word, jealous and zealous, in the Hebrew Old Testament. But the idea is there is a difference in English, at least, between zealous and jealous. Jealous is the the fire in his soul. Zealous is the the heat that comes from it. He was zealous in his heart, just like it says of John the Baptist, he was a burning and a shining light. He was jealous and zealous for the Lord. And again, there's a difference between a heart fire and a house fire. I couldn't control the house fire four years ago. But we can control the hearth fire. And Phineas was not some wildfire kind of individual. His zeal came from a heart of jealousy for the Lord. And it was his zeal that God stopped the plague and blessed his people again. He wasn't a vigilante. He wasn't some lone ranger doing his own thing. the Lord warns us we're not to take vengeance into our own hands but we are to be zealous for the Lord we are to cry out isn't there not a cause for us to be holy to resist the sins of the world so these seven oracles have been coming out of the mouth of a false prophet saying that how blessed God's people are how unique they are how divinely guided and victorious they are and Balaam says, here's how you're going to defeat him. Sin from within. That's how you're going to defeat him. The world's going to have an effect on him. We're going we're to pound him with immorality and idolatry. And they gave in. And the Lord commends the zeal of Phineas. He was zealous for my sake. And because he was zealous, he said, Therefore, I didn't consume the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wow, that's scary. 24,000 died. What did he mean by that? How many more would have died if Phinehas hadn't stepped forward? And then he says in verse 13, He was zealous for my sake. Three times we read that word zealous or jealous. Same word in Hebrew. But it's God's jealousy. In other words, Phineas was godlike in his zealous behavior. He's Jesus-like. Remember Psalm 69, it was saying, the zeal or jealousy of thine house hath eaten me up. And, P- and John quotes from, from this after Jesus um, takes the whip and turns over the money changers. He looked like a vigilante. I mean, think about it. all these bird cages and these money these tables where they're exchanging money, and he just comes in, he tips them all over. And, and you can see birds flying out in the air, and you can, you can see the animals begin to run, and Jesus just telling him, get out of the temple. This is God's house. And it's interesting, right after that, I don't know if it's here, but in the next time he cleanses the temple, then the poor and the maimed and the blind could come in. It was too busy. They couldn't get in. People who wanted to worship and seek the Lord couldn't get in because there were hucksters inside the place. And man, are church buildings places for hucksters? For bingo games, making money? It's God's house. God gave us this house in 1988. And I'll tell you what, if we begin, if we start making merchandise in this place, he's going to He's going to write Ichabod over this place. In the 1800s, this church building was built by Universalists that didn't believe God was a Trinity. They were Unitarian Universalists. They believed that they didn't believe in hell. They believed everybody would be in heaven. This, these walls never heard the gospel of grace until 1988. And are we going to now provoke the Lord by becoming worldly and, and soft and cold and do nothing, frozen when when the devil wants to stop the momentum of the church from God's glories at stake? Remember Elijah when he called down fire from heaven and he two hundred fifty Baal worshippers he slew. And it said, he says, I was very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. But he ran from Jezebel when she warned him. But you can understand when a person has exhausted himself like Elijah did that night, it's easy to fall the next day. We need fresh zeal and fresh strength. The Lord said his zeal would perform the Messiah's coming, Isaiah 9-7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform the coming of the, unto you a child is born, unto, unto you a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, name shall be called, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and his government shall have no end. And it goes on to say the zeal of the Lord will perform this. I will not be cold. I will not, I will not renege on my promise to send you a Messiah to save you from your sin. And do we not have a cause to say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, we will not renege on our promise to serve you all our days and to be holy as you are holy, to pray for a true, holy zeal for the Lord. So they were threatening their zeal, smothering and the drowning in the drenching of the, of the fire. And Again, Jesus reminds us, be careful, Because lawlessness abounds in the world, your your love is going to wax cold. Cold hearts. Their sin in the camp was whoredom, committing physical immorality and spiritual immorality, spiritual whoredom, by calling the people to the sacrifices of their gods. There was a threat. It's interesting how one one can work with the other. In Galatians 5, it said, the works of the flesh are fornication, uncleanness, and it goes on to say idolatry. One led to the other, and vice versa. In this passage, it tells us they began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and notice, then it says they went into idolatry. Once you've sinned against the Lord and you've dulled your conscience by your sin, then you're persuaded to worship other gods your heart is not right with the lord the bible says no fornicator shall have their part in the in the kingdom of god shall not inherit the kingdom of god when you think about what believers get involved in what kind of what kind of things are we seeing in the internet in films are we allowing pornography to dull our senses and, and provoke the Lord? Notice it says the people, the people, three times the people entered into this sin. And that's exactly what Balaam wanted. He didn't just want the leaders. He wanted the whole congregation to be involved in these sins. But we know the leaders were involved. It's interesting. It's one of the leaders that went into the camp with this Midianitish woman. Now, the Midianites and the Moabites were together. That's why you see Moab and Midian. Midianites were kind of like a nomads and they, they went from place to place, but here they're connected with the Moabites. And so here comes Zimri and Cosby. Co- Cosby was a Midianitish woman. They come right into the camp. It's interesting how the Simeonites were on the south side of the camp. So you've got the door of the tabernacle is on the east side. So you've got west, you've got north, and you've got south. Sorry, the south side was this. So Cosby and Zimri come past the door of the tabernacle into a tent of immorality, right in front of the Right in front of the door leading to the bronze altar, God's presence, where the people are mourning, they're weeping because God has begun to a plague, and they're saying, "Oh God, be merciful to us." And Moses is right there, and here comes these two fornicators right through the camp, saying, "In your face," and nobody's doing anything. Moses doesn't doesn't seem to carry out the, the command. So there's a threat to their zeal. Secondly, there's a kindling of zeal. Somebody's got to be zealous or the camp is going to be judged thoroughly. So the flame comes forth, the blazing, the stoking, the thunder of zeal steps forward. Here comes Phineas. Phineas has watched this happen too. He's a priest. They're all like, what do we do? And Phineas says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put an end to the sin that's in the face of the people. And you and I say are aghast at what he did. And the language is to be very careful in the very act of intimacy. Intimacy. He goes into that tent and he thrusts them both through. Man, you talk about nasty. That's it. that's the language that we read here. They went from the bed to hell. That's what it's saying, and that's what the Lord feels. But all the wickedness that's going on in the world and especially the church. It used to be that premarital immorality was not kosher. It's come right out of a closet. And the government rewards it. Isn't it time for us to say God is holy? And it's not right to shack up before you're married? Is that old, being an old fogey or is that being biblical? A plague had broken out, verses 8 to 9. The congregation was weeping. They had a zeal for the Lord, but nobody would do anything about it. The same word for weeping is lamentation. It's bewailing. It's not just a few tears down the cheeks. They're weeping because they're afraid of God's blessing being taken away from the camp again. Forty more years in the wilderness? It's the same word used of, of Rachel weeping for her children, the mothers that lost their children at, at Bethlehem. Can you imagine someone, a soldier coming into your house and slaying your infant child? There was weeping around Bethlehem that day. They were the first martyrs for Christ. It's use of Abraham weeping over Sarah after she died. We've had a couple ministers that have lost their wives in the last year or two, and one of them said the first year is agony. Our minister in Pennsylvania can hardly get to the pulpit. His wife died in July. I mean, You lose a parent you're close to. Psalm 21, 26 is the same word about us weeping for souls. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Has, has there ever been a time where you and I wept for lost souls? Wept over your lost children? Wept over your lost relatives, your neighbors? Is it, does it, do we ever have a broken heart where the heart breaks and we just weep profusely? Isn't it indicative of our coldness that we can't weep for a soul? David wept over Absalom after he died and his weeping was the weeping of a man who knew that his son went to hell. Read about it, it's horrible. Oh, Absalom, my son. Oh, Absalom, my son. My son, Absalom. Would to God I would have died for you. Behold, it says, when they came into the camp, it was shocking. And it says they came unto their brethren. A Midianitish woman, unto his brethren, in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses writes this and says, it was so obvious, it was so audacious of them. And Moses is confessing, I froze. Phineas, step forward. The the zeal of one man saved the day. A youth, oh, that our young people would be zealous for the Lord. Not vigilantes, but isn't it wonderful when you see a young person that is upright, that loves the Lord, that fears him, that loves his word, that wants to be holy and not accommodate all the wickedness of the world. We've had them, haven't we? What a blessing. He didn't didn't seek personal vengeance. There wasn't any wildfire here that says the plague was stayed. He turned away God's wrath and he was zealous for my sake. Isn't there not a cause for us to guard the worship of God? God promised him an everlasting priesthood that for all his generations, God will bless you if you serve him. Thank God for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that want to serve the Lord, be holy in every way, be holy in all manner of, of life. Word, thought, word, and deed and in every way, holy unto the Lord. When you look at verses 14 and following, you see the threat to zeal and you see the kindling of zeal. I believe you can say the preservation of zeal is why the Lord says, now I want you to vex the Midianites. I want you to keep the fuel going, zealous for me, and guarding against those who would infiltrate. You apply it with, we're zealous to keep the world from infiltrating and diluting the people of God. He's saying, remember Zimri and Cosby. It's interesting how you, the Lord has some verses in the Bible. Remember, remember, remember. He says, remember Lot's wife. Her heart was still in Sodom. God said, flee the city and don't look back. Don't look back. And she's running with Lot and their daughters and her heart was still in Sodom. She looks back. The Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Just turned into a statue. Can you imagine as people went by, it may have taken several years before she totally melted. What would would happen after so many years? Maybe there was a standing statue for 10 years or 20. Can you imagine people going up to that statue and saying, there's a woman in there. did this happen? And the Lord is saying to us, don't have your heart in the world. Point your eyes to heaven. Don't have your heart in the world. Don't turn back. He says, remember Miriam. Miriam was struck with leprosy because she rose against her brother, who's a meek man. He He didn't choose to be a leader. And the Lord says, remember, even in the camp of God, I love Miriam, I love you, but if you rebel and you cause seek to cause the work of God to halt, I'm gonna chasten you. There are other remembrances, are there? You know, isn't it interesting how the Lord Jesus says to us, remember, remember my death. This is what you deserved. You deserve God's wrath, but I took it for you. Don't leave the shadow of Calvary, brother and sister. When he says, remember, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, don't leave the shadow of Calvary. This is what you deserve, but I took your place. That'll keep your heart right by staying in the shadow of Calvary How can we sin against the Lord if we are underneath the cross? Yet there were unbelievers that sinned while Jesus was hanging on a tree. The Lord tells us to remember from where we have fallen and return. Vex the Midianites and smite them. In chapter 31 it says, they slew the five kings of Midian, And Balaam also they slew with a sword. See, Israel didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. They didn't know that Balaam and Balak were building these altars and they were trying to get God to curse Israel. They were serving the Lord down in the valley. They didn't know what happened, but it got to them. Moses finally found out there was a false prophet that was trying to curse us, but he actually convinced The Moabites, or he convinced our camp, it was the false prophet that did it. And so Moses must have told the people of Israel, you find that false prophet, you don't save him. Don't spare his life. He's the instigator that caused 24,000 people to die. You know, Israel's going into Gaza and they're looking for the leaders that caused that massacre. That's war. That's righteousness. The instigators that that vilified all those poor girls. People that were decapitated. atrocious crimes. And now they want a ceasefire? Vex the Midianites. The same with you and me. We need to vex the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Don't give place to the flesh or to the devil or the world. If you're not in the offensive, they will be. Notice what he says. Vex the Midianites and smite them, verse 18, if you don't, they're going to vex you and their wiles. If you don't go on the offensive, they're going on, they've already gone on the offensive. Just like if Israel doesn't deal with Hamas, well, here comes Hamas again. You've got to annihilate them. And this is a spiritual application. We can't give in. To the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. We've got to always put on the whole armor of God. The word vex means trouble them. Let's be a let's be a, a thorn in the side of the devil. The devil hates holy people. He hates people that want to honor the Lord and obey his word. It annoys him because he's a, a wicked being. He loves when we sin because he knows it. It grieves the Lord, and he knows it will bring chastening to the people of God. He's a wicked being. He wants people to go to hell with him. He doesn't want people to be saved. Beyond the offensive, Paul said in Romans, reckon yourself to be dead to sin. In Colossians, he says, put your sinful members to death, mortify your members which are upon the earth, fornication, covetousness, which is idolatry. The mark of a believer is holiness. And let's be careful not to adopt the gods of the world, materialism, the sports craze, where it dominates the person, pornography, premarital immorality, extramarital immorality, the frenzy of gaming, seductiveness, addictive behaviors. Anything can become addictive. Hunting can become addictive. Food, sleep, buying and selling, just giving us a, a sampling of what idols can weaken our constitution and grieve the Holy Spirit where we neglect our fellowship with God and with one another. Israel longed to be like the world. They'd rather offend the Lord than lose their friendship with the world. And sometimes that takes place in the believer's life. But I close with the thought that Phineas was a type of Jesus. He was zealous for God's house. Remember, at the age of 12, it says of Jesus, I must be about my father's business. Now the word business is supplied by the authorized translators. It doesn't have a, a word in there in the Greek. It says, I must, be, I must be about the affairs of blank. You have to fill in the blank. I believe that, the, that the, the versions that put house in there are correct because he's in the house. He can do God's business anywhere. It's in his house where he stayed, where Joseph and Mary found him. In other words, he's saying for God's worship, he was zealous. I must be about my father's house. I must, I must attend public worship. I must worship the Lord in this way. And judgment begins at the house of God, we're told by Peter. God, first of all, deals with us and our worship. And if If judgment begins at the house of God, what will be the end of those that obey not the gospel? See, God first judges in the church. And He'll first bless us by chastening, and then we can be a witness. He doesn't first deal out there, He deals first in here. In here. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. But think about it. Phineas pierced these two souls. What does it say of Jesus? They will look upon me whom they have pierced. When the soldier took the sword or the spear and thrust it through Jesus' side, the writer goes on to say, John 19.34 One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water that the scripture might be fulfilled. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah chapter 12. We deserve the spear of God's righteous wrath, but Jesus took it for us. Jesus took it for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced for us that we might be spared. But since the Lord has saved us from our sins, should we not seek to live a holy life that's becoming to such a Savior? Let's disappoint the devil by holiness of life and holiness of worship. A mark of a believer is secret and open. It says, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That's the secret mark. You know what the open mark is? And let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's a mark of a believer that we live holy lives. My prayer is that we won't have a black drop in 2024. 2024. God has been good to us. He's forgiven our sins and he's blessed our worship in the last year. Let's always be on guard that the devil wants a black drop. He wants black. Now, he wants what we see so often in the Bible. The Lord purposely lets us see light and dark, light and dark, light and dark because in this world, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the devil is going to be at us. we got a mark on our backs. He wants there to be blackness. He wants us to fall into sin in 2024. He wants to divide the church in 2024. He wants us to be unfaithful in our covenant relationships in 2024. He wants us to fall. Don't turn your back. Face him. May God help us that that 2024 will be light, the light of life, holiness of life, serving the Lord and honoring him. He's the light of the world. He that followeth him shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let this be a caution to us. Thank God for this Christ-like zeal of Phineas. God used him to save the day. May we not be frozen. May we be ready to act. May zeal, may the hearth be filled with fuel. warms the soul. The zeal of the Lord will always characterize us. Let's pray. Father, these are shocking passages, yet you have Reveal them to us. You have included them in your word. It would be so easy to just pass over this chapter. It's so horrible, so graphic, so judgmental. Yet, yeah, Lord, so applicable in this day. You remind us, Lord, that we're in a fallen world. We have enemies of the gospel. They want to cause us and our children and our brothers and sisters to fall. He loves when the church is vicious and not virtuous. Please help us to be holy. Oh God, help us to guard one another. We are our brother's keeper. Please help us to guard our own hearts. As Solomon said, Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life and to guard one another, to be holy. Oh Lord, you know what we're like behind closed doors. You know what we're like when we're alone, when we're in our homes. I pray that we would not be hypocrites. Pray, Lord, that we would be holy in secret and in, in the open, in the church and at work and at home. Wherever we are when we're alone, for we know thou, God, seest me. So please bless thy word to our hearts. Deliver us from sin, the world and its idols, from the devil and his wives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Let's close by sending number six eighty five. I don't we close? Are you able to play six eighty five? Okay, oh breath of life.